Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com podcast. All right, let's get started. Our guest in this podcast is Brian Douglas, and he's quite a guy. Brian has taken his experiences, being there right at the start of the professionalization of GitHub's developer relations activity, and turned them into an amazing startup, opensource.pizza, which has the most awesome domain name I've ever come across for a startup. This interview has lots of really, really good insights, including the importance of time zones for your UX. As an open source maintainer myself, I'm pretty impressed with what Brian is doing. But let us let the man speak for himself. Here we go. Brian, welcome. It is great to have you here today on the Fireside with the Fox Gig podcast talking about developer relations. And let's start, let's get straight into it, uh, talking about opensource.pizza. Amazing TLD, I have to say. I never thought anybody would find a way to have .pizza as uh, the TLD for a software company. Well done. Oh, well, my my pleasure. Uh, it, a long time coming. Uh, I actually got the dot pizza back in 2016, 2017. Oh, that's four and uh, it's one of those uh, domain-driven development. So you get <laughs> the domain and then you, you find a place to put it. Uh, okay, so uh, for those in the audience who uh, don't know what open source dot pizza is, because they're they're looking at that domain name going, what, what on earth? What sort of a startup? As a name like that, um, why don't you take us through uh, what it is and what you're trying to do and the vision, um, the origin story? How did you get to? How did you get to do the startup? Yeah, so I mean, the origin story is uh, I used to work at a company called Netlify. Um, this is an employee number three, and my my role was developer. So I was a full stack developer, but I was doing developer experience as well um, as like a sort of half half time in each role. Uh, sort of fell into that because I was the only engineer that was consistently writing blog, blog posts. And one of the engagements I was doing was uh, going into open source projects and contributing to just contributing as random features and stuff like that. But I'd always like add a documentation update and then share Netlify as like a deploy preview. So Netlify was like a uh, no. kind of like GitHub pages, but yeah. Uh, but but yeah, a little more more a little more advanced at that time. Um, so. Because I was doing that, I built this little CRM tool to track all my PRs that I was opening up in different various open source projects. And that tool I ended up naming Open Sauce. Um, it was just like more of a tongue-in-cheek open sauce.pizza. And it was that was just about it. And that was the same project that I spoke at GitHub Universe in 2018, or sorry, 2017 on. And uh that was about how do you leverage a GitHub GraphQL API to build our CRM tool, basically. Um, so that talk actually is what got me introduced into uh, Kyle Daigle, who's now the chief of staff of the CEO at, at, at GitHub, uh, who eventually got me to interview for the first developer advocate at, uh, at GitHub. You were the first developer advocate officially at GitHub. Yeah, officially. Yeah, uh, at the time uh, prior to that, like every, there were other engineers that like did the role, uh, and there's also the open source team, like with Mike McQuaid and Nadia Ekbal. Uh, those are the folks who interviewed me uh, and eventually hired me into into GitHub, and yeah, so that that was the uh, yeah that was the trajectory. It was a amazing experience. Twenty eighteen, like prior to Microsoft acquisition, uh, yeah. but I did want to take a step back and like open source itself. It really is to discover engineering 
um, contributors, trying to grow contribution and projects. Uh, and that was the ultimate goal. Uh, once I sort of moved away from the CRM tool that I was using, uh, I just wanted to contribute more to open source in general. Uh, so that's what the, that became the goal for me and then the folks who eventually signed up for it. So, I mean, let's say I'm an, I'm an open source maintainer and I have a couple of projects on GitHub. Do, do I use open source? How does, so what does it do for me? Yeah, that's a good question. And so in the exploration to find out like if the, this could be a viable startup and like what the, the product would be, uh, I think there's a lot of tools out there that are helping maintainers maintain projects. I think a lot, most maintainers usually have like their own sort of secret sauce on how to maintain multiple mm -hmm. projects or maybe they don't. Uh, and we did set out to to solve that problem for maintainers last year. But what we found is a, a harder problem, which is to get companies uh, organized to help maintain projects. So we wanted to try to swing as hard as, hard as we could at a problem that would solve it for the majority of the folks. So uh, folks like Stripe and folks like even GitHub um, and, and even Microsoft, like they all have their own approach to maintaining open source software. Uh, we wanted to centralize on just getting information around contributions, contributors. So if you're if you're an open source maintainer today, you could use open source. You could, uh, as you go to the onboarding, you land onto the insights pages, uh, and there you would add your own projects to a list. Uh, you could also add your own projects to or your own projects alongside of other projects as well. So imagine there's like. Uh, a related project that you also want to track contrib contributors and contributions around. Um, we get, we provide that ability today as well. Okay, so I'm just thinking that this if I'm a, if I'm a company, there's different types of of open source engagement that I'm going to do. So uh, there's an obvious one, which is I have my own set of SDKs and they're open source, and I need to maintain those. Um, and then there's also uh, stuff that I would have done in, in this company and previous ones where we encourage developers to actively participate in third-party projects, maybe they're core node contributors, this type of thing. Um, so do you do both? Do you differentiate? It? Which one is more important? The SDK stuff? The sort of yeah. semi-commercial yeah, so, source? Or? Yeah, I'd probably take a, like even a step above in like understanding goals of the company. So... Uh, some companies have SDKs where they're really just trying to drive engagement for their product upstream. So having those SDKs interactions to grow community and contributions. Other ones are like example repos. So like I, I, I pick on Stripe again, where they have like a bunch of Stripe Stripe examples where right. you could just walk into a repo and have a good idea of how to use the product pretty quickly. Uh, and those are really just like to drive more user and customer engagement. Uh, but then there are also the companies that do contribute upstream to projects like a React or a, a Markdown, yeah. like MDX. Um, so like those companies might want to see where their engineers are are contributing uh, and try to just keep keep track of contributions for the sake of when folks do like sponsorship, identifying, okay, where, where should I put sponsorship dollars to? Um, so we don't actually have that live in the product yet. Um, and uh, hopefully partnering with other other two tools like Scarf that are already doing things like this already. Um, but the the goal is really like, like what's the goal? Um, and then there's also other projects like where the company itself maintains a large open source repository. So like um, Electron was a good example for GitHub yeah. a couple of years ago, where Electron came out of Atom. Atom spun out Electron as it's, it's, as an open source project that was under the GitHub umbrella. Uh, it was under the Git uh, Electron organization eventually, uh, but it started as a GitHub 
uh, repo at first. Uh, and the goal there was to really just share a thing with the community. Um, and a lot of companies have this sort of setup. Uh, but a lot of times what happens is that these sort of setups are either unmaintained or not maintained consistently, or there's like no oversight or insight to understand the maintenance of these projects, especially if they're not like driving the main business goal, uh, which Electron wasn't. Electron was just sort of like a cool idea that went out in Ether. Um, so uh, there are also companies that just put open source, sort of like throw it over the wall and hope for the best. And I think a lot of enterprises will do this. Will they have yeah, an open source yeah. project with really no con contribution? And I think what the the real goal that I, I set out uh, a couple of years ago was I wanted to make it easier for people to onboard into open source and find projects. And when, if you have a project that has no contribution, it'd be easier to kind of see that high level. Uh, so like when you walk into the dashboard and open source, uh, you do sort of, if you don't pick your interest, you you basically default to JavaScript. And you can see all contributions across JavaScript. Uh, if you choose the repos you want to put onto a page, uh, then you can see all contributions based on the repos in, in your insights page. Uh, but the idea is like, can I see if this is an active project pretty quickly? Uh, and that's that's the goal that we're, we've solved already. Uh, so the next step is how do we drive adoption and contribution to places that need it? Um, so in the future, we'll have place ways for folks to sort of and companies to raise their hand and say, hey, uh, I want to contribute to a project. This is my interest. Or I'm a company or a maintainer of an open, free open source project that says, hey, I'm looking for this types of contributors, whether it's a uh, documentation or if you're looking for specific tests or refactoring or new features. Interesting. I uh, so I, I went to the site and, and uh, of course, the first thing I did was put on the um, startup founder investor hat. Uh, and you do have a pricing tab, which I love. Yes, <laughs> that's that, so. Uh, I mean, I you know I write open source code and all that sort of stuff, but I, I clicked on pricing straight away. Um, yeah, so, so just explain. Okay, so who who's who's the customer? Who pays? Yeah, that's a good question. And that the pricing, I'll be I'll be upfront. Like the pricing is something we threw together in December uh, as a knowing that. The number one page that people click through, including yourself, uh, <laughs> is the pricing page. Uh, so, like our, our pricing today is $99 per user um, per seat. Uh, so, like currently, we don't have a Teams functionality. Um, and the folks who are paying are the folks who want to find more insights and discovery into their projects. So, um, so far, it's really been around sourcing talent. Um, so, we're working with the um, uh, a company that is 100% open source and also VC funded, like a Series B. And they specifically want to go through their repositories to see uh, who's contributing oh, to their wow. projects and how they can okay. how they can drive engagement, but also increase their hiring pipeline uh, specifically. Okay. That is really interesting. So uh, just, from just from personal experience, so uh, I, I'm a maintainer of a, a microservices framework. Um, it's been been around for ten years. And Node uh, has about two hundred plugins. Has a little ecosystem, little developer community, um, and we hire many people from that community. So what tends to happen is, you know, somebody somebody end up. Doing quite a, quite a few contributions, and they kind of bubble up in terms of we, we notice them, and then eventually they end up working for us. And it's a great way to find really cool people, uh, but it's all random, ad hoc. Um, so that's really interesting because we could. And then other times we need people, and we don't have enough people, and then 
but it's almost impossible to search 200 plugins to find good contributors, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's like um, it's sort of out of sight, out of mind too, as well. Because it's like, uh, for example, there's um, a, a SDK that it's maintained now. Uh, well, it's been maintained by by GitHub for the longest time, but one of the biggest contributors was a non-GitHub employee. Um, and just to understand, as as GitHub's gone through its changes, where like now post Microsoft, the team, the company's way bigger than it was before. Um, a lot of in, institutional knowledge around how things were set up and like why certain open source projects exist are are lost as soon as someone leaves the company or or moves on to the next thing. Uh, so with that being said, there's like an opportunity to have a, a sort of like high level understanding of what's going on and who's who's contributing and where they're coming from. And one of our onboarding experiences, like choose your time zone, uh, because like when you go to organize, yeah, engagements or invites, yeah. No. So just just in case you haven't seen the site, right? When you, when you onboard, which is kind of unusual. Open source of pizza asks you for your time zone. So yeah, walk, walk us through that. Yeah, so the 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 time zone really it came out of a conversation I've had like with the OpenJS Foundation where they want to go, uh, and this has happened numerous times on the company side as well. Like we want to engage contributors and, and pick a time to have like a remote meeting or have an understanding of like, hey, why is no one responding to my uh, my PR after two hours? Uh, and chances are maybe they're sleeping. Uh, so uh, we yeah. wanted to. Like have location as part of the onboarding experience, but it felt like that was a little too personal identifying information, especially if you're only going by handle and you don't have an avatar. Uh, but better fit would be let us know what what your UTC is um, and are your sort of offset, so that way people can have better expectation setting. Um, and this is something that I, I GitHub profiles also uh, you can you can show your local time as well. Uh, and I, I find this to be helpful, uh, especially if you're looking to sort of source contributors or encourage um, synchronous communication through Slack and Discord. Uh, well, eventually, we'll have a, a connection to to Discord. Uh, but this is a better understanding of like where the where contributions are coming from. Uh, and this is something that we also put a lot of time into it when I was working at GitHub, um, which is how do you decide okay what conferences to go speak at and when you go to those conferences like who do you reach out to uh for maybe some in-person meetings or some engagement uh it becomes a valuable insight to say hey there's like a bunch of people in this time zone maybe we could set up either a meeting this time or if we're in your in your country like put out the feelers if people want to connect and collaborate in person yeah yeah I haven't seen anybody else doing that or, or kind of focusing on it as much. Um, it's really valuable. I, so yeah, it, yeah, I was going to say that they, what was really valuable, because I did this at, at GitHub, um, one of the, the fourth largest uh, emerging markets for GitHub as far as uh, user growth uh, was Brazil. And uh, prior to going to Brazil, uh, because I would work at GitHub, I had I had access to this data. Uh, I would just go and search for highest contributors in XYZ language or framework, uh, and set up like invites to say, "Hey, we're we're going to be doing this event. Um, would you like to come to your to Ooh. your local town city uh, and talk about open source with other maintainers in the area?" Uh, and it became like an easy sort of engagement opportunity just to grow adoption, uh, but also kind of like. Like when when you when you're not in like the West Coast or you're not in San Francisco, it kind of feels isolating when you're like you're the only one writing code and the only yeah. one that knows what you're doing. Uh, but to also like connect with folks in person and have that sort of 
aha moment or the rah, rah, rah of, oh, wow, these people are doing something just like me. I didn't know there are other JavaScript devs or there are other Python devs here in my city. Uh, so we, we do a lot of engagements like that prior to doing conferences and doing uh, travel for DevRel. Yeah, that is wonderful. Um, having been exposed to both worlds, right? So I'm, I'm speaking to you from a small city on the edge of Europe uh, in Ireland, uh, but I've, I've, you know, spent a lot of time in, in San Francisco and LA and, and engaged with the developer scene there. And yeah, it's, it's, it is, it is kind of weird because normally when I'm engaging with open source, it's, <laughs> it's very far away from the, the, the center of things. Um, so it's, it's easy for the, the people involved in, the San Francisco Bay Area to seem almost untouchable, godlike. You know, you can't. <laughs> they're hard, hard to access. They seem ten times better than you. Um, so that's really that's really empowering. I think to, to to do that to to let people understand that hey, there's actually a guy two doors down. He's coding as well. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's like my my introduction into writing code because so my background is I have a finance degree gra graduated the last recession here in the US uh 2008 and uh had no job Ooh, uh, so time. I spent four good years time. yeah yeah I spent four years basically uh doing sales uh and then from there I decided I wanted to build an app uh so first thing I did was like I started googling how to build an app found out Ruby on Rails uh and then when I sort of like by a struck of luck I discovered that there was a local meetup in my city uh, with other Ruby developers. So I started attending that. And I know firsthand what it's like to find people who know a little bit more than you to ask questions to, to understand like what the job market is and just get all that sort of uh, insight into, wow, there's like, there's more than just, you know, copying and pasting code from Stack Overflow or installing repos um, onto your local machine. Like there's a whole community around there. And yeah. like, once you understand that, like open source itself, it's, it, it is like the, like every time you install a project onto into your project, you're like you're not just installing the code; you're installing the entire team. Uh, so, like when you understand that how the human dependency graph exists, and that's that's kind of like the high level we're trying to do with open source is like understand the humans behind the software. Um, that is super empowering and like super eye opening. Yeah, you know, <laughs> learning that you're not the only nerd in town is 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 wonderful. Exactly. Um, so, oh, that okay. So that's really interesting. So you you studied finance, and then you were working yes. sales, and then you taught yourself to code specifically to do. A, uh, you wanted to build an app, so you taught yourself to code. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a goal at hand. This is like I, I recommend anybody who's sort of the career switching or getting in the code the first time, like have a goal in mind, so that way you you know what you're heading towards. Uh, and then that experience kind of unlocks, um, you know, just in time learning. Because uh, I think a lot of folks will spend a lot of time in books and hypotheticals. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you could spend some time into like hands on, I need to solve this problem. Uh, you tend to, well, I, I can speak for myself, but I tend to learn faster uh, that way. And so I encourage most people to like, even if it's like not a great idea. Uh, and I think a lot of times we could fall over and like, oh, this has to be like the next Facebook or the next, you know, DoorDash or whatever it is. Um, instead, like just pick an idea and build it, whether you like it or not. Because uh, ideas are, they're a dime a dozen. They're cheap. Yeah. Um, and it you could just Google cool ideas to build in code. Uh, start there. And then that way you could have some sort of like guardrails of like a, 
I could go down in like the weird AI route. Um, but instead, I'm going to build this login functionality to my application so I can learn how authentication works instead. Exactly. And I, I assume that original app is lost to the mists of time now. Yeah, no, the, the original app, uh, I ended up building, it took 17 weeks. Uh, it was basically Yelp for churches. And okay. um, it was like a, it was at the time in 2012, 2013, like finding a church in the US, uh, it seemed to be like an insurmountable feat because uh, you couldn't just Google, Google a church. Uh, so instead, um, I created a, a place where you could basically post your church online um, with details. Uh, it was like, there's a whole other, like, it was like a little before it's time, uh, to be quite honest, like not many churches wanted to be online present and active. Um, and then there was also a, a review element and, uh, the reviews seemed like they would need a lot more moderation than I expected. Oh, wow. uh, so I, I uh, ended up, uh, opting for a, um, a full-time role at a, uh, influencer marketing company, uh, to build out their dashboard. And of course, you, you legitimize your capabilities by by building the app. And let me ask you: I mean, in, in, you hadn't studied computer science, had you? Had you done coding before as a kid, or was it totally new? Did something just click? Did you go, hey, I you know, I really enjoy doing this. Yeah, I mean, I so I, my generation is like I'm the elder millennial based on that, that trajectory. So late, sure. uh, I guess I'm in the latter part of my 30s at this point. Um, <laughs> it doesn't feel like it, I'll be honest. But uh, oh, it gets worse. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but no, I was always a uh, computer literate. We had a computer in our, our local apartment complex growing up and eventually we had a computer in the house. And I was like a sort of a script kitty copy and paster in order to like mod games, you'd copy and paste code from SourceForge. Gotcha. So I was literate in that sense growing up. And then I was also, you know, went through the MySpace generation where you could, you know, edit CSS to make your page as custom as possible. Um, so I was, yeah, I had an understanding of like how web and HTML worked. Uh, it was like able to build basic HTML sites. Um, but I was knowledgeable to know that, that it was possible to learn without a proper degree. Um, and then that was, um, that was the other half of it. It's like, I didn't choose like computer science, even though I was like interested in it. Uh, because I didn't know computer science was the actual degree that you would, you would go for to get a role in in tech. Um, so it was more of like, just didn't have a lot of role models or a lot of examples to look forward to. Um, so I ended up going at the finance degree because that was, it was more stable and for, for security. Not having, yeah. Yeah. At the time, <laughs> I thought way more secure. Um, but I thought if I learned how to make, or sorry, if I learned how money works, I could learn how to make money. Uh, so that was like the reason for that degree. Um, but it turns out it wasn't really my passion, to be quite honest. Yeah. It was more of like a means to an end. Um, and then hey, it comes in useful now, right? With the startup, right? I bet you can do uh, well, yeah. models. No, no problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was able to throw together a cap table when like you tried to, to bring Ooh. on investment and stuff like that. And uh definitely have like financial models put together for, yeah. for the business itself. So like we talked about pricing, but like we have a business model of how this actually becomes a commercially viable business. Uh so like that's all been modeled out and stuff like that. And you know, I, I've learned I picked up a lot of that also like relearning it recently but it's like getting on a bike um so it's like nothing it's not uh, i think a lot of founders you you have like really good technical sense or you have a really good business sense but you don't have both um uh, but i could i could stand here and say it in confidence i've got 
a strong sense and my technical, my sales and uh, my product abilities. So uh, not all of them are perfect, but I think I, I'm, I'm a, what, a jack of all trades um, yeah. and a master in some. Well, you have worked in sales, right? And, and at the end of the day, that is the only thing that counts. That's yeah, yeah. Being able to have a conversation, which is honestly, that's like how I got pushed into doing more DevRel at the startup I was working at at Netlify is because I had the business background, I had the sales background, uh, and I had the technical background, even though like none of them were, you know, extremely like skilled skills that I had developed over years. Like I just learned how to code a couple years prior. And, but I was able to com combine those into what is like developer advocate today, which is like being able to talk to developers, convince them that your solution is, is like viable and it's worth taking a look. Uh, and I, I found a lot of, um, enlightenment like to be able to to go through that process of like getting folks and the sort of uh empathy of wow i didn't know this existed before uh where, which i spent like a lot of times doing github actions because i joined github right before that launched and mm, uh when cool. you see the uh, moment uh, of folks using github actions of like oh wow this this makes a lot of sense why am i still using the other tool uh so it was like nice to go through that process with folks i think github actions got a but you did get a little bit of luck with um travis just being a travesty. Yeah, yeah. Travis, uh, their sort of implosion and sort of acquisition uh, made the, the market super ripe for, for a new tool. Oh, totally. Let's talk about GitHub a little bit um, because I'm just going to go back to something you said earlier, which was that you were the first of the, the, the official developer advocates in, in GitHub in 2018, which sounds crazy. Uh, I mean, that's not that long ago. Uh, it's easy to forget that this this whole career path, this whole activity is 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 actually really really new. Um, I mean, I'm sure GitHub was doing developer relations before then, but it was probably ad hoc, right? Yeah. It, so, like the and this is a um, common occurrence for companies like in the last ten years, where y your first couple of hires, everyone's an advocate, basically. Yeah. You're hiring people to you know, you're, to double down on like building the product, but also talk about the product. Uh, so some of your early employees, they'll be the ones that stand on stage and talk about, hey, this, did you know you could do this cool thing with this new this new product itself? Um, so that was how GitHub operated. Like engineers are super excited about the product they were building. Um, so with with that that being the case, like I ended up. Uh, joining at a time that github was going through this like transitional phase where four years prior they had no managers so they have managers at this point uh but the ceo had stepped down two years prior uh so there was no sort of orchestration and like github had this thing where if you got accepted to speak at a conference they'd pay for your travel and your your lodging um so like there were a few employees that sort of took advantage of this where they just spent their entire time like traveling and living abroad uh, which is an amazing experience, but they had to basically cut that down to, okay, only two times a year to like only once a year to only once a year if it is tangential to your your day job, or whatever. And yeah. they had to like basically constrain this because it was getting a little expensive to have people live abroad and travel to Israel for random conferences. Uh, yeah. Just not picking on a, a per particular person, but like there were random conferences like in APAC and folks who were living in like Wichita, Kansas. Like it's just... It's expensive. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, they brought on uh, developer advocates to basically be the point people to manage the engagement and be the public face of, of GitHub. Um, so uh, I was hired and immediately uh, Don Goodman Wilson was also hired uh, in Answer Man, like shortly after I joined. 
And our, our role was really to build more awareness and adoption around uh, high-impact features. So high-impact features are like the GitHub API. Uh, at this point, it was GraphQL API as well, uh, webhooks, uh, GitHub Marketplace inter- interactions. They said, build more awareness around the possibility of integrating with GitHub and uh, be that point person to uh, to be on stage or be at GitHub Universe to talk talk about these these, these products. Um, so the way we got off the ground running was like we would just scale our experience. So uh, pretty quickly we we created this uh, this internal platform to basically have any GitHub engineer request to speak on our behalf. Um, and if you, we still had to sort of, if you got your talk accepted, we'd support you. Uh, but the goal is like the DevRel team would support engineers speaking at conferences. Uh, and then we'd also sponsor conferences and have a request internally, um, to have folks speak on our behalf. So if I go, if I got a sponsoring Ruby on RailsConf or RailsConf, um, I put out a call out internally, uh, to say, Hey, any engineer that is going to be in Chicago or wants to be in Chicago, we've got 10 tickets, um, the only requirement is that you book yourself to stand at the booth for like two, two to two to four hours. Uh, so we built that internal system, which we called IRL, um, which the goal was not only do we want to get high impact features in front of people so that they're educated that they exist, uh, but we also want to put real life GitHub employees in front of people so they know that GitHub is a real company. Um, not that people had doubts, but really like the the opportunity to to meet GitHub employees at a conference was high value, high impact. So the reason why we were two developer advocates the first 18 months is because we were scaling through the engineering team and have them at our at the conferences and representing GitHub alongside of us. Brian, do you, do you think many companies do that? Or do you think do you think a lot of companies just have, okay, you know, here are the developer advocates, they do that stuff and all the other engineers stay in the back room. Was, yeah. You can doing that or? Yeah, and I'd say that's um, for smaller companies, I think it's a big miss if you don't have your earliest employees advocating your product. Because uh, like, like if you're, especially if you work at a dev- developer tool, like if your tool is to serve developers and you have developers at a company, the biggest, like the, the easiest limit test is asking your developers if they use the product. Because uh-huh. uh, the people you're hiring, if they're not using the product, then chances are people that you're trying to pitch to are probably not using the product. Uh, and this becomes like a really easy filter for early employees, if like, if you're excited about the product, you'll probably build something that you'll be excited about that also other people would be excited about. Um, which also, you know, you, it could be a snake eating its tail and you're like, you're, you don't get enough feedback because you're too excited about it and you don't take feedback well. Um, so that's besides the point. But yeah, I'd say most companies, they hire a developer advocate probably too early. And it's like one of the first 10 employees. And it's the first 10 employees that do pretty much do everything public facing engagement. So uh, I think it's a big miss to a lot of earlier companies. And I think what we're seeing in the last year really is we're seeing a lot of layoffs. And uh, if there was like not a good alignment between DevRel or the developer advocate and the rest of the company, uh, you're seeing a lot of those folks get cut. And um, the best thing you could do as an advocate as well is not just advocate the product externally, but also advocate the product internally. Um, so like drive adoption, like find out features that are just not getting a lot of looks um, and like figure out a way to either cut the feature or improve the experience overall for the developers using the product. That's a really interesting insight. Um, and there's a lot of people who are just starting out in DevRel, um, you know, trying to find their feet, trying to understand what to do. And that's, I haven't come across that piece of advice before. I think that's really interesting. Speaking of 
the snake eating its own tail and uh, letting your your own developers use your stuff. Um, should, a, should a startup always have an API? Should you do the API first and then, <laughs> then the UI? Do you guys have an API? Yeah, so we do have Actually, an API. That strategically. Yeah, so we have an API, and uh, this is really, uh, we started with the API first, honestly. Like we, um, okay. I built this tool. Yeah, so I built this tool as a, a CRM tool, was the original platform. And hmm. out of that experience, we we built this recommendation engine, which we now have as hot open sauce.pizza is the URL. Uh, and this okay. recommendation, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the recommendations is really early trending projects. So less than 100 stars usually... Uh, there's like either there's like a, usually going to be a, a blip where a ton of people are now engaged with this through, through usually stars, um, and we can recommend up and coming projects. And as we were building this, we also built an API alongside of it. We had an API prior as well, um, but this became like the the basis of the new product essentially, which is how do you get discover new projects? Um, so API that open sauce pizza is now our live API. Uh, and this has some light data on like voting and and repo data. And uh, we do have a private API as well. Um, so we do have it sort of gated off uh, that includes all of our inside data. Uh, so like we're only about since September is when we've, we've all been like had a live product uh, for open source. Uh, sorry, the new version of the live product uh, since September. Uh, so we've been slowly developing the API alongside of the actual product that people will be paying for. Um, so we're looking forward to shipping more things and like building more ways for people to integrate with open source, either in their tools or build on top of open source. Um, but as far as like the question, like, should companies have an API? Uh, it really depends. Like if you're a developer tool and you have developer advocates, there be, should be some sort of interaction that developers can to take some advancement to. And I would say like GitHub's a really good model that folks can look at where GitHub's API was shipped one month after the public launch of GitHub. And GitHub's approach has always been build integrations on top of GitHub and, and like make the experience where you can build alongside of GitHub or into GitHub uh, and en enhance your experience. Uh, so for that reason, like you see the the, the adoption of GitHub like hit to uh, what in the last uh, couple months we've been uh, oh I say we but um, GitHub's announced uh, 100 million developers on the platform worldwide and like you don't get to that point unless it becomes. Like GitHub becomes like the water for developers, uh, where everyone, if you're doing any open source, you're probably touching GitHub in some way, even if you're not even contributing through GitHub day to day. Uh, and that's mainly because now it's become it's become the synonymous tool for developers to collaborate through. Oh yeah, you you, you absolutely have to have it. Um, I do feel GitHub could do a little bit more for maintainers in general. Um, it's still very individual repo focused. Um, it, it, and this is where I mean, this is where you come in, right? This is yeah, this and this is yeah, know, this is um, <laughs> yeah, this is one hundred percent something that I, I definitely brought up a ton uh, when I was at GitHub. It, it was a constant conversation, and I think the the, the team itself, so like um, uh, Abby and Kara, are doing a great job of ma like maintaining the open source engagement for uh, maintainers themselves. Uh, so there's a lot of behind the scenes that happens uh, in meetings and collaborations with the top open source projects. Um, but yeah, the way GitHub structured is you only see what's in your organization or you only see what's in your repos. And like what open source is looking to set out and 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 help with is that you could see insights into repos across industry. So not only to see your repos, but alongside of that, you can see the repos 
of similar projects and uh, projects you look up to and projects that you don't look up to. Um, if you consider yourself a competitor, uh, if that's a thing in open source. Um, but the idea there is like, if we can see insights across the board, like we start leveling the play field, playing field and uh, like the, the sort of mantra of rising tide raises all boats, like it's an opportunity to say, okay, if this Python project is doing X, Y, Z and they're attracting ZYX type contributors, like perhaps there's something there that I can learn from. Uh, so what is it? Like, how do I, how do I reach out and collaborate? And uh, eventually we'll have a collaboration feature that we've been working on. I, I mind you, everything we're doing in open source is open source. So uh, there's like no surprise on our roadmap because um, everything's an issue and it, our Figma is mostly open. Um, I think we, wow, we've locked okay. down stuff that we're actively working on, uh, but stuff that you want to see historical record on or go through Figma files, like that's all open to, to skim through, at least for now. I don't think there's, uh, I'm still learning Figma, so I don't know how open it should be, but uh, yeah. we're figuring this out. And um, yeah, uh, with that being said, like what the, the goal there is like jump in and, and learn something, uh, but also get insights and awareness around what's happening uh, across industry as well. So you believe in the the whole building public strategy? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I do believe in the building public. Like we didn't have like a, a, a splashy public launch when we launched our product. Uh, I think I tweeted it in December, like we had a new landing page. Um, but at the end of the day, like the, the most diehard users are the ones that can follow along and join our Discord and jump in issues. And like we do take contributions outside as well for the main product as well. Um, but the the reason for that is like I I don't know, like I've done marketing, I've done sales, I've done I've done it all. And I think a lot of times we get sort of really, really over-indexed and like we have to have a splashy launch date to to ship the product to get all the adoption you can. And I think what it really comes down to is like the adoption happens slowly. Um, like you're you're collecting new users, more more adoption and drops. And like every now and then you have a big like a, a big hit uh, either like on Hacker News, maybe you got a blog post or uh, some awareness happened through a, a conference. But I think the the real goal is always be shipping. And as long as you're always showing pro forward progress, like you don't have to like put a stake pole in as like this is our launch date. Um, like it, it it becomes way more aware when you have high impact users or some of the advocates of your user base advocating you on your behalf. Um, so uh, maybe maybe I, I I eat those words in a, in in a, in a few months when we have a big splashy launch and we go on Hacker News and hit the front page. Yeah, product uh, hunt now, number one or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely do a product hunt launch. But like at the end of the day, like what we will end up launching is everything that's already been open, like already been yeah. open and available. And I think um, a lot of folks that's been in the DevRel space has been a lot of time copying what Superbase is doing. And Superbase is um, uh, open sourced uh, Postgres, like uh, open source Firebase is, I guess, what they were calling themselves. But it's, uh, instead of um, NoSQL, it's actually Postgres. Mm. Uh, they are also 100% open source and they 100% ship everything as part of normal releases and agile methodology. <laughs> but what's interesting is like when they do the launch week, they're just kind of really rounding up everything they've shipped already that's already been launched and that is put into like one blog post uh, for the week. Um, so like we'll probably end up adopting a similar announcement yeah, well, strategy. Right. Uh, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But the, like the goal is really like you, if you're, if you're hardcore and you want to pay attention to what open sauce is doing, you could do that by hitting subscribe yeah. on the repo. Uh, but if you want to catch up on a blog post, like we have a newsletter that we ship at the moment monthly, uh, we're trying to get it every two, every other week, but um, that's a, it's a, a lot to invest in. That. Oh, I know, I know. It's it's yeah. 
consistent content production is is tough. I've got I've got one last question. Um, so at the moment, your open source focuses on GitHub and the kind of Reaper interactions and that sort of stuff. Are you guys going to expand out into the wider uh, ways that, that maintainers, commercial and, and open source, interact with, with their users and their contributors? Uh, you know, I don't know. Understanding how your discords are going, understanding how your socials are going, that type of stuff. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's going into the territory of, of people like orbit.love and, and people like that, or is that? Yeah, that's, it, so that actually, it comes up a lot, uh, especially Orbit is a, a particular company that it, we get compared to a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that, that Orbit does a great job in having a broader ecosystem around your community-led growth. And uh, I'd say like we we introduced some community-led growth features where maybe we we connect the Discord, which we'll, we're planning on doing, uh, but like less on trying to understand GitHub uh, Discord messages and and likes on tweets and um, even like stars on GitHub. Like our goal is really to understand the code that be, that's contributed. And that, when I say code, it's anything that is attached to a Git commit. So there's also documentation if you choose to commit your docs uh, through Markdown. Um, so like our focus will always be around pull requests uh, where uh, tools like Orbit can do a really good job at understanding like where stars are coming from. We want to take the story from stars to PRs. Uh, so PRs has a pull oh, request. Yeah, yeah. And so that, yeah, so that's that's our goal is really just to understand where contribution is coming from, uh, as opposed to like where comments and, and stars are coming from. Now I, I could say like maybe we expand or we partner with Orbit in the future. I'm happy to <laughs> actually I, I'm ready to connect with the Orbit team. So like we we've had conversations already. Yeah. Uh, but like where we see ourselves at the space is like we can get deep insights and in the code contributions. Um and when I say code, I really mean git commits because I totally understand those contributions are not just code. Uh, and we have some interesting things we're to do with a uh, blog post as well. Because uh, I, I personally think the best good first issue or the first contribution is a intro to XYZ library uh, blog post. Wow. Okay. Yeah. The focus on code is definitely one of your key differentiators. Amazing. Brian, thank you so much. This has been super, super interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm, as a maintainer, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to be having a go because um, I can see it being I can see it being super useful for me uh, yeah and keep the feedback all, coming too as well like if there's uh, anything you want to see uh, in the product we I'm, you would more than happy to open up a github discussion or issue uh, and we can help triage that to, to see if it works within our roadmap uh, but the goal is like we want to support open source um, to start we're supporting companies that are doing open source uh, eventually we'll have an open source plan where folks who want to get more insights in their open source project, uh, we'll do that soon. Uh, but and then, then we want to focus on developers as well. Like, how do we get developers doing more open source and contributing? Uh, the one thing I didn't actually even mention is the the point oh one percent. So the out of all open source repos, at the time I, I was doing the data last year, I did three hundred seventy two million, but I was looking at two hundred eighty million uh, years prior. Uh, only two hundred thousand repos have more than five contributors. Um, so the way we approach this is just having the understanding that most projects don't even have five contributors. Uh, so if the goal for anybody who's launching open source is like get five contributors uh, as soon as possible, and now you have an open source community. Um, so that's what we're trying to 
uh, for folks who want to grow engagement, uh, we want to start focusing on how do we grow engagement through increasing contributors to projects. That's a that's that's the critical watershed, kind of the north star number five contributors or more. Interesting, Brian. Thank you so much. This has been fabulous. Really, really interesting. Um, definitely go check out Open Source Pizza, guys. It's fabulous. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgig.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgig.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at voxgig. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.